Hey, what's up, guys? It's Grabalicious coming to you with another podcast and with another special guest. Today's podcast is super special. I have a period of fertility coach. She's based in England. She supports women with their menstrual help, and also she supports couples. You can check out her website at wombwellness.uk.com for more information. So let's get to this podcast with my girl, Amy. Yay! Hi, Amy. Hi, Nikki. Sorry, it wanted me to go into safari and do it that way. It's a bit weird. I don't know what it was doing, but there uh, we are. I'm here. Okay, sorry about that. It's, sometimes it like it's differs, de- depends on like people's phones and stuff. I don't yeah, know. no, I don't know. It's fine. <laughs> don't worry about it. I'm here now. So, hi. Hi. So glad that you came on to chat with me. So, or <laughs> anything, let's just let's just let you talk about what you do and what your more information about yourself. Okay, so um, what do you want to know? (laughs) Um, So I'm um, Amy Williams. I'm a period and fertility coach based in the UK. Um, I'm a mom of two kids, been with my husband since I was 17, Um, lived in several countries, including Germany and Malaysia. Um, And I used to be a teacher, used to teach what we call primary school children, you call them elementary school children. And then I had a big uh, career change when I had my own children and retrained as a reflexologist and then got really interested in women's health and took a lot more qualifications and training in menstrual and reproductive health, um, including um, supporting couples through fertility as well. And here I am now as a period and fertility coach. So that's me. <laughs> that's good. That's really cool that you went and traveled a lot. I'm trying to travel to Malaysia. It's really pretty there. I watch uh, a lot of food channels from there. So Oh, uh, yeah. No, I lived there for um, five months. In, my, in the UK, we a lot of have gap years between mm-hmm. school and university. Yeah. And um, so I taught English out there for five months. Oh, that's really cool. So yeah. how long have you been a fertility coach? Like, Not long at all, actually. So I've been working in with uh, menstrual and reproductive health for about three years. But I only kind of separated my business out. So I was doing that as a reflexologist, mm-hmm. um, using that as a kind of um, a specialism with my reflexology. And then I separated that out during COVID, during lockdown, which we had here in between March and July. I decided, right, now's the time to stop procrastinating and actually mm-hmm. set it up as separate from uh, from what I was doing. So I still do the reflexology and I love it. But what I can do through being a fertility and period coach is I can work remotely, of course, with people who aren't, yeah. who aren't anywhere near me. Yes, COVID got everybody messed up now. So that's really cool. Like procrastinating at this time, there's no need to it because the government gave us enough time to do something (laughs) with our lives. So that's really cool that you have done that. So how do you calm yourself down when you're frustrated and you're just done with the day? Like how do you overcome that? Oh my gosh, I'm not the best at, I'm good at not being frustrated. I'm pretty <laughs> sunny sides up sort of person. You know, like I said, when it was locked down, I was like, right, here's an opportunity. You know, I'm that sort of person. I usually have like a 10 minute strop about something where I kind mm-hmm. of stamp my feet and slam some doors and then I get over myself and get yeah. on with things. I don't know, maybe that's part of it. Just like let it all out. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm good at talking, you know, if I'm frustrated, I'll... I'll go have a good kind of 
not cry on a shoulder, but you know, kind of just moan at someone for five minutes and then be like, right, I'm yeah. done now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't bottle stuff up. But I'm also, you know, I'm one of those people who I do look for the sunny side. I do look for those silver linings, um, you know, and like right now we're in another lockdown here. We've been in another lockdown. Um, well, it's, it's a month lockdown, supposedly. That you guys, on... guys went into another lockdown. Yeah, now. we're in the second one. We're calling it oh, lockdown oh. light a bit because it's not quite as as full on as the first one but mm-hmm. um yeah I'm not um you know I've got a lot more time on my hands my kids are still at school this time whereas last time I was homeschooling yeah um, so they're, they're still at school so I'm using this as time um to keep plowing on and and, and keep working on things you know and I'm doing an, another course I'm doing an essential oils uh, clinical practitioner course during this lockdown <laughs> because why not <laughs> yeah yeah why so, not there's what else is there to do exactly so you know i could sit and watch netflix eating you know doritos all day and you know maybe it's nice to do that once in a while but if that ends up being your every day that's not a good healthy thing so i'm yeah i'm somebody who i like to fill my time with positive stuff yeah me too so um there's a question that i, I asked all the all every everybody so women that are incarcerated you know that there are the pads and sanitation, uh, tampons are not really good. What is your input about that? To be honest, I don't know that much about it. I mean, I don't know if it's the same situation here in the UK or not. It's not something I know particularly about. I think that every woman should be entitled as part of human rights and dignity to have an adequate um, access to sanitation. Well, sanitary products that they need I mean if if you've got an inferior product then you're more at risk of it leaking stainage on the clothes which just makes no sense financially anyway for the prison service Um, uh, embarrassment humiliation um, also you know if you had an inferior product that you might be more likely to get some sort of infection or yeast infection from it so it seems just a ridiculous idea that people wouldn't be allowed to have good quality products yeah because up in well up in new york and mostly new york their sanitation is horrible with the pads and tampons anybody that i talked to that have came from incarcerated they just said they wanted to get out just to get a regular pad like that was the most yeah they were trying to get i mean certainly here in the uk we had a big um what's the word i want to use like um there's a lot of stuff in the media about, say, five years ago about period poverty, mm-hmm. where they were talking about how girls, especially like teenage girls, but also anyone who's in these um, families with severe poverty, where they, you know, they can't afford to go and spend however much money it costs to go and buy some tampons or some pads. Um, they can't afford that luxury because it's so expensive. It's ridiculously expensive. Mm-hmm. And they're ending up using, you know, toilet roll or... Um, other things like you know old socks or whatever it is instead and you know there was a big shock a massive shockwave through the nation where people went what hadn't even (laughs) thought of that you know from a middle class perspective where you don't even have to think about spending five or ten pounds on on some products if that's the difference between you eating or not that week that's mm-hmm. a huge deal. So I guess it kind of falls into that same sort of category of that people deserve to actually have this level of human respect. And yeah. um, it's, it's not a luxury. Mean to just wear a nasty pad or they reuse pads so they don't yeah. keep on the commissary to get another one. 
Yeah, and I watched a program once that was about um, homelessness, and it was it was in the USA. I don't remember which city now. It was a couple of years ago now, and they were talking to these these women on the street, and this woman was saying about how she was in the same boat. You know, she could get so many. And then she'd run out of money and then she was trying to like eke them out as long as she could. And, and yeah, she was talking about her little tricks and methods that she had to kind of use fewer to get through the week. And you just think, Mm -hmm. yeah, this is, this is something that actually needs thinking about from, from a state point of view that actually it shouldn't be something that a person goes without because we don't expect people to go without like water and other basic necessities. And it's like, it's a need for a woman during that time for sanitation pads to be able for them to have it. Yeah. Like if it's, you're talking about women in prison who obviously they can't choose which products they've got and, you know, they are completely restricted on that. Then at least the product, even if they don't choose the brand that the product itself is doing the job. And if Mm -hmm. it's not doing the job, then you have to say that they aren't having their basic needs met. Yeah, true. So what do you feel like about birth control? There's a lot of uh, talk about how uh, parents put kids on birth control just to end their period so they're not dealing with heavy flows. Do you think that's a bad thing to do to just let a child just get on birth control just to let their period flow just stop? Yeah, so when we're talking about, like, we call it birth control, you're talking about, obviously, um, making choices about having babies and planning for families. And then we're talking about Mm -hmm. choosing to use that to manage menstrual issues. What we're saying then is this isn't birth control. We're saying this is a drug about menstrual health. But the thing is, with any sort of hormonal contraceptive, is that what it's doing is it's turning off your natural cycle and it's not fixing anything that's wrong so if your daughter say she's 14 years old and she's got extremely painful heavy bleeds and you Mm. give her a pill or a patch or an implant whatever it is and for that temporary time be that temporary time five years 10 years 20 years whatever until she comes off it she may feel great and she might be really pleased about that and she can get on with things. But then Mm -hmm. when she comes off it, where's she going to be at? She's going to be exactly the same place as she was when she went on it in the first place because no one's dealt with the root. And at that point, she might be trying for a baby. Mm -hmm. And then she suddenly got to try and fix this problem. Yeah. Doesn't it take a while for uh, it to wear off? It can do. I mean, like, so I was on the pill before I had my daughter back before I did anything like this. And I didn't know anything much else. And I was on the combined pill for about, I suppose, like about six or seven years. I didn't go on it straight away as a teenager. I went on it a bit later. And, um, and I came off it and I was pregnant within two months. Mm. But I see women all the time who, even after a year of being on something, they still haven't got a cycle back. Yeah. So, and that's people who were healthy to start with. So if you've already got the issue before you went on it, that you've got menstrual issues, you're just going to go back to that because whatever the problem was hasn't gone away. You've just masked it. And so you've got to then deal with trying to get a diagnosis, mm-hmm. trying to get support and help for it. And 
deal with it so that then you can potentially, if, if you are trying for a baby, then try for a baby. Will you end up having to go down the IVF route or um, at least, you know, maybe a medicated um, fertility route, which is in the USA, if you you haven't got the right um, insurance, it's going to cost you absolutely loads. Mm-hmm. Even here in the UK, where we have the national health system, in some parts of the UK, it's very regional. So some parts of the UK, you might get one round of IVF on it for free. You might get three rounds for free, but you might get none. So it does depend on your situation and circumstances, and you'd have to pay for the rest privately. Yeah. Whereas if you have a daughter who is that age and she has those issues, my first port of call for anyone is to go, but what's causing it? What's causing it? Let's not look at symptoms. Let's look at causes. Because if your symptom is bleeding or your symptom is pain, yeah, you can deal with the symptom by taking the contraceptive pill or whatever, but that's not dealing with the cause. Mm -hmm. So, but then on the other hand, I would never judge someone for the decisions that they've made if they have at least looked at all the options. Because at the end of the day, if your kid's like that age and they're missing loads of school and to get that treated is going to be several months down the line you might decide for now we're going to go down the pill route because we can't afford our daughter to take that much time out of school yeah because it will affect her entire future but that would be like a decision that you would have to make based on having all the information and the issue is is that people don't get given the information they go into the doctor's office and the first thing the doctor says is here take the contraceptive that Mm -hmm. will fix your problem and they don't even look at why it's happening. Yeah, they don't try to go more in depth. They just try to get you out the office. <laughs> as well. Yeah, it's like the quick method to get you out the office. And what's funny is that I kind of assumed at first that maybe it was just like something here in the UK because you kind of think, okay, it's just us. Everyone else does it differently. But at the moment, I'm actually researching a book where I'm having 100 conversations with 100 people about periods and their experiences. And I'm speaking to people all over the Western world. So I'm speaking to people here in the UK. I'm speaking to people in the USA, in Canada, in uh, Germany, in like all, all over. And they're all saying the same thing. Like, does not matter which nation you're in, which healthcare system you're in. It seems for menstrual health, the first thing a doctor does is throw the contraceptive pill or coil or whatever at you before they even investigate what's wrong. And just seems warped in my head, I have to say. (laughs) That's true. Um, So what other disorders do you see more in women than men? Well, obviously, menstrual disorders are in women more. (laughs) Yeah. that's an easy one um so with women i see a lot of endometriosis um one in ten women have that diagnosed and they suspect it's a lot more because a lot of women just don't get a diagnosis um pcos again they say about one in ten women have pcos it's one of the leading causes of infertility um what other main things do i have i suppose those are two biggies that people come with in terms of menstrual health. And there's lots of reasons why people have issues with menstrual health, you know, fibroids or polyps. Mm -hmm. Um, Cysts are very common as well. Um, But when it comes to fertility, a lot of what I see is actual male factor um, because people tend to come to me when they're hitting their heads against brick walls. Mm -hmm. And with female stuff, they tend to investigate it more. So they... Clinics tend to think about the woman and they tend to ignore the man. 
Um, so when they come to me, they're usually like, well, we've tried everything. And I'm like, okay, tell me about your partner. And they seem really surprised. <laughs> like, what? Where do you want to talk about him? <laughs> right. Because <laughs> it's only half of the problem, you know. And then you talk to them and they might have had really basic semen analyses that really don't have much detail or maybe even, which is horrendous, the practitioner who's read the results have read them wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of tests that you can get done in a private sector that aren't always offered to people because if the clinic you go to doesn't offer it, they won't tell you about it. Yes. You know, they're not altruistic. They're not going to say, oh, you know, this this other clinic down the road, they do this test that we don't do. They're not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, rather keep... um, yeah, it's, it's business, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It so, not... yeah. Don't want it. <laughs> Yeah, and male factor doesn't bring in enough money because a lot of the conditions that men present with either can be fixed too easily, this is maybe really cynical, but with a bit of antibiotics, they can go away and shoot some happy fellas out. Uh Or they are not necessarily fixable with drugs and medication, but require a lifestyle change. Mm. And that doesn't make money. Do you think that uh, transgender men would, do you think that that affects a lot or do you, do you like, is there, like, I know there's a lot of transgender men that have periods. Like I have a couple periods, which is weird to me, (laughs) but they do take hormones and stuff for that. Now, do you believe in that? Like I I have nothing against them. I love them, but there's a lot of people that are against that. uh, They're trying to put female hormones into them. So you so you confused me there when you said about female hormones. When you're saying about a transgender man having periods, we're talking about a woman who's transitioned to a man. No, a man transitioning to a woman. Okay, they wouldn't be having periods. Oh, there was, there was a couple of people that I have that you said that they have periods and they can become pregnant. I thought that was really confusing. I'm like, how can oh, you no, do that? Oh, no, that would be the case where a woman had transitioned to be a man. And then mm-hmm. they would still, they still have periods until basically, because they take, artificial not artificial they take androgens which are male hormones like testosterone but it's a long process and it takes a long time for all of this to kind of all switch off and then not all of them choose to take those necessarily um it's a personal choice and then if you fully transition obviously you would have surgery to remove all your female organs and then it wouldn't happen anyway um so each person on a transitional journey would be in a very different place because they would either be earlier or further along in the process. They may have made different choices, which are right or wrong for them as an individual. Um, so, yes, yeah, some um, some people do still have periods. And, and it's, a you know, and I wouldn't like to generalize how it is for each person because everyone is so individual. But for <laughs> somebody who doesn't identify as a woman or as female, um, who's having a period, that is a real challenge because in that time, your body is telling you the literal opposite of what you would like it to be doing and it's it's kind of like you know you can't avoid it you can't avoid the blood you can't avoid the contact and the communication with that part of your genitalia and um so it's a very very challenging time um i was speaking to somebody who was only 13 14 the other week for my book and um so 
she i'm saying she as a pronoun because she still identifies as she mm-hmm. um she was born as a she but she is gender fluid and she isn't at this stage wanting to transition maybe she will later she doesn't yet know she hasn't decided either which way because she's still quite young and she's still she's still being patient with her choices mm-hmm. but she said when she menstruates she doesn't want to be called she at that time she wears different bands around her wrist for different colors of how she feels about her gender at those days and and she likes to be completely gender neutral at that time which was quite interesting because it's almost like that that menstrual um, blood and everything else that menstruation at that point for her isn't this celebration of femininity it's almost like it's too much yeah um, and it's just a bit too challenging um so i'm very sympathetic to um transgender community and people who don't who don't identify as cis because i mean i'm a cis female and i i um coach women in um, menstrual cycle awareness which is about completely connecting with your menstrual cycle to embrace that but i think that if you don't relate to that then that would be such a challenge and I could completely understand why you wouldn't want to continue with it because it just isn't your identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would never think that someone should have to continue in a way that isn't their identity. You know, we all should be allowed to live our authentic life true to ourselves, whatever that is. Mm, that's very true. <laughs> and before I let you get off of here, um, one of the questions that I have, well, you we was wanting to talk about what be. uh, how do menstrual cycles and hormonals can affect your mental health? Yeah, well, it's quite a biggie, really. Um, so your natural menstrual cycle affects your health generally. So we have several hormones at play when we have our menstrual cycle. Um, so we go through the first stage of the menstrual cycle is your bleed, where all your hormones are pretty low, and then they start to build up. So if I just focus this on estrogen and, um, so we call it estrogen, we call it estrogen, and progesterone, um, your estrogen level starts pretty low at menstruation. And then as it rises and it goes up towards ovulation, it peaks at ovulation, but it does this funny thing where it peaks and then dips and then comes back up again. And it literally does that like over the course of a day or two. And so some women find around ovulation that they have this strange couple of days where they feel really low because mm-hmm. estrogen has this symbiotic relationship with serotonin. And so when it does this sudden drop at ovulation, it's like the serotonin just almost kind of dries up. And then that's one of your happy hormones. So they can have a really low day or a couple of low days around that time. And then it goes right back up again. And then at that point, the progesterone also rises up and you have this high hormones, both of them quite high. And in theory, they're both meant to stay up for about 11 to 16 days until your bleed starts where they drop down again. But what happens is, of course, not everyone's picture book perfect and not everyone follows you know, exactly how the textbooks say. So some people find that they get this real anxiety and depression before a period starts. And we all know about the premenstruum. We all know about premenstrual rage and all of that. But actually, a healthy cycle shouldn't be like that. A healthy cycle doesn't have this huge kind of Jekyll and Hyde hormonal switch. So if that's happening, what's happening in you is that your hormones aren't maintaining that healthy balance. 
And it should be that both hormone levels stay at a nice level where they're both high, but they're both steady. And then they just drop off right before your bleed. But what happens in some women is that one or both of those hormones will be unstable. And it'll either be going up and down, rocking about all over the place, or it will be coming down far too early. And then you get this anxiety and this depression and everything else or the rage that goes with that. And if it's rage, it tends to be more to do with the estrogen dropping off. And if it's anxiety, it tends to be more to do with the progesterone because progesterone has this amazing effect at modulating anxiety. Um, so it, it um, basically is these things called GABA receptors in the brain, which receive these happy hormones that we will know about. And it helps it do that. Um, and some women have a condition called PMDD, which um, affects 5% of women, which is, is even like if you think of PMT or PMS, like megafold that, you know, and they, they have to live with that. And it's to do with their hormone levels. And women are twice as likely to have mental health issues as men. 64% um, more likely to have depression just before their period. 51% more likely to have anxiety before their period and 33% more likely to have panic attacks before their period. Um, and then we said before about the pill, what's happening there is the pill is actually not, it doesn't contain progesterone or estrogen. We say that it does. We say like the progesterone only pill. It doesn't contain any. It contains synthetic versions of these hormones. And as much as it does some of the things that your natural hormones do, it doesn't do everything. So it doesn't regulate your mood, for example, or it doesn't help with bone density. Um, and it doesn't help with so many other functions that those hormones have. And so what they found is, is that women who are on hormonal contraceptives are so much more likely to have issues with mental health. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I've got some statistics in front of me and um, basically they found that they women who, who use um, hormonal contraceptives are um, so much more likely to commit suicide, to um, take antidepressants for the first time. Um, and it's not just the pill, it's also the, like the coil. So for example, the marina coil is the most common coil that's used um, by women worldwide. And, and it has a high anxiety incidence rate. So it's so important if somebody is on a hormonal contraceptive, they really pay attention to what's going on for them mentally. And it isn't the case that you take it and like the next day feel rough. It might be like a few months down the line as it has time to really get into your system. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you were talking about teenagers earlier, this is part of my issue with hormonal contraceptives in young girls. A teenager, any teenager, is hard work, right? And they have these yeah. mood swings <laughs> and it's all over the place. So then you throw yes. in a, a contraceptive and you add that to the mix. And that girl has that on top of all her hormonal stuff going on anyway which mm -hmm. isn't going to help her mental health at all. Um, you know, and we have, you know, teenagers are so much more likely to commit suicide and more likely to take drugs and all that sort of stuff. So why would mm -hmm. we add to that? And then on top of that, if that girl then goes on to take that pill for 20 years 
and then she's on antidepressants or she's got anxiety and everything else and she's in her 20s and 30s she has no idea if that is caused by the pill or caused by something else because she doesn't know what she is like as a baseline of it she is only on it so she has no way of knowing if it is due to an actual mental health disorder or due to the pill. And she could be thinking something wrong with her as a person or her mental health just generally for herself. And it's not, it's actually to do with that. So that is really concerning that someone wouldn't know what is normal for them. Yeah. So yeah. How do you... okay. <laughs> okay, sorry if I if you if no, I no, no, you know, you. no, no, it's fine. Okay, so how do you feel about Depo or if you know about yeah. Depo, the birth control? The injection. I think it became yes. really popular with Fifty Shades of Grey because she had that, didn't she? I don't know if you know that, but she did. It yeah, really I definitely. <laughs> and a lot of people like it because it, for a lot of people, not everybody, it switches off their periods altogether, which some people like. They like the mm-hmm. control element of that. Depo is very, very risky. I'll give you a couple of reasons why. One is that you can't take it out. So if your body doesn't agree with it, you've got to ride that wave. And there's lots of people mm-hmm. who their bodies don't get on with hormonal contraceptives. You know, I was on I was on the combined pill myself for several years and I was fine on it. I had no side effects. Looking back, I suppose there were a couple of little tiny minor side effects I wasn't really aware of, you know, like little weight gain things and stuff like that. But you didn't really pay attention to it at the time. But I didn't have any big issues. But some people do, you know, some people, they don't stop bleeding the whole time they're on something or they get headaches or even migraines or whatever else. But if you're, you know, even if you have the implant, you can take that out. You can take the coil out. You can stop taking the pill. You can't stop the injection. Once it's in you, it's in you. Yes, Depo. I, I'm on Depo now. I was on the pill before, but from the pill to Depo, the pill really had get. I was more depressed on the pill than on Depo. But my fear is when I get off Depo is that my mental health is going to be so crappy because <laughs> I'm so used to like it being controlled by Depo. Yeah. But my period has stopped that's the only thing I love about it is my period's gone yeah but the thing is is that you know if if, you know I said about estrogen and progesterone earlier so if your issue is to do with estrogen then you may find it beneficial to be on a hormonal contraceptive because you're not getting these peaks and troughs of ovulation um and you're not getting this kind of double dip thing going on and everything else and you're not getting this fluctuation of hormones and estrogen it tends to be about this rockiness about the hormone is the issue this sudden drops and stuff like that so you're not having that see it's nice and neutral and calm so that might be why you're feeling a benefit and you may find that as you come off it that you find it worse because actually it takes a long Mm -hmm. time to get over the depot you know some women it takes over a year to get back into having a cycle and other women it's quite quick and it's all about you as an individual um but it can take a while and because you haven't got your proper cycle back you don't have the benefit of the hormones working properly for you um Mm -hmm. so it can take a long time but you have to be mindful of the fact that depot is very difficult when it comes to bone density so you can't really be on it for very long they recommend you only really on it for maximum three years and the reason Mm. being is because you are much higher risk of bone density issues as you get older um and if you start finding you're getting fractures while you're on it you need to go and talk to your doctor because um 
you know, you could put, set yourself up for osteoporosis or something later in life. And if, if you mm-hmm. are on it again, it goes back to that thing of why were you having the mental health issues? If it's obviously you're thinking, okay, I took this and now I feel better. The mental health issues then were related to your cycle. So what's going on in your cycle that means that's happening? Because a healthy menstrual cycle doesn't do that to you. So something's going wrong in the menstrual cycle. Rather than just switch it off, fix it. Heal what's wrong rather than fix the whole thing off. Because your cycle itself is so many benefits to you. You know, if you are having a healthy bleed each month, then you're getting the benefits of the progesterone and estrogen for other parts of your body, um, for other functions that it does. You're getting the benefits of shedding your endometrium, which means you have a much lower chance of cancer later in your um, endometrium. Um, So, you know, there's lots of benefits and never mind the fact if you fix whatever's going wrong in your cycle if when you choose to have children you might well find it easier to have babies so if you choose Mm. to have babies of course not everyone wants to do that and there's the periods (laughs) themselves may well be more pleasant not no one's going to say they're pleasant well some people do actually but um you know they're less likely to have symptoms to do with them um you know a healthy bleed doesn't involve mental health issues a healthy bleed doesn't involve pain and a healthy bleed doesn't involve flooding and stains and it going on for days and days and having to use super tampons every hour and all that sort of thing that's not healthy if that's the case something needs fixing but the pill and and the depo and everything that doesn't fix it it just hides it for a while Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I'm not. I'm in the position where I strongly feel that every person should make their own decisions about their own healthcare, but that they should be informed of all the information so that they can do that. And then whatever the decision is they make is their decision. That's up to them. Yes, me too. I believe that. I just, I just wish that. I don't know. I feel like it's more better in the better where you are than up here near me because the healthcare system they don't really care they they get a hundred thousand women every day about the same thing so when someone is actually going to the doctor actually get actual one-on-one information it's hard to get that because they're so used to everybody else just coming in coming with the oh, same problem so you never get that here. it's absolutely the same here they are oh, okay so- so- what we have is a system where you have to go through your gp your um, general practitioner first so you can't just go and book an appointment with a gynecologist um because it's not a private system so you can't just go to anyone you have to go through your gp who is your local doctor and you can't just choose who that is either it's whoever you locally live nearest to you'll be dumped with one um and usually there's like two or three doctors in the same practice and you can switch between them, but that's pretty much your choice. Um, so if you end up going and they're all like in their 60s and totally cynical and ready to retire and they don't want to know anything, um, they haven't probably done the update on the you know, women's health recently or something, that's what you're lumped with. And that person is the gatekeeper for your health. They're the one who says, yes, I'm going to refer you or here's a pill, take a pill, fix everything. Yes, like the nurse at the high school, just get an ice pack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I talk to people who have, I use the example of endometriosis, which is crippling pain, crippling, crippling pain. Well, not, not all for every woman, but a lot of women with endometriosis have such agonizing pain that they relate it to worse than childbirth if they've had babies. And 
they wow. go into somewhere like um, the emergency room and the nurse has said to them, a female nurse, I have to say, has said to them, oh, come on, we all get period pain. It can't be that bad. You know? <laughs> what? <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, it's just uh-uh. about people listening and, and, and allowing for someone to be the... Um, to know about their own body, you know, to be the expert about themselves. And if I say I'm in pain, I'm in pain, you know, or if I say that I'm worried about something, take me seriously, um, rather than just brush yeah. me off. And it just seems... Yes, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't come yeah, to you if I did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. there's hypochondriacs, <laughs> there's people who, you know, blow everything out of the water. And I get there's budgets and whatever else. But at the end of the day, if somebody is, you know, having to miss work or they're saying, you know, I'm getting through tampons every half an hour, you've got to take that seriously. You can't ignore that. That's yeah. just not on to do that. So you're not being a good doctor. You know, they, they take the duty of care. Yes. Definitely. Definitely in times now, you can't just pass by that. Well, you know, there's no excuse now, really. I know they don't know everything. Um, I said about endometriosis, they still don't even know what causes it. There is no cure, but there are things they can do to help out. Um, and they don't know everything, and doctors have got to stop pretending they do. Um, but they are they are the people who say yes or no. They are in this little God position where they make these big decisions about people's lives. And they have to remember that these are people's lives. And and to take someone seriously is all that's wanted. Um, and if you take someone seriously, that involves finding out what's wrong with them rather than throwing something at them and telling them to go away. Definitely. So before I let you off, um, I was re- I was listening to one of your um, little interviews you had on Facebook. You was talking about a book. Um, I don't know if you remember the book that you was talking about on your live on the live. You was having oh, an interview with somebody. I, I was talking just... about anxiety and mental health with somebody, Geraldine. Um, she was asking about books. Yeah. Um, no, yes. Which book? I mentioned a couple of books, but um, do you mean the Lara Bryden book? Um, yes. That's that's. The... Yeah. So Lara Bryden's an Australian naturopath. And she's got this book called the Period Repair Manual, and it's brilliant. It's like it's almost like um, a how-to guide on how to fix yourself with menstrual health problems. <laughs> um, and it tells you all the kind of science stuff, or the background of each condition, and then it tells you all the supplements and natural things to take, all the foods that you should avoid for different conditions. Um, and it just gives you the information as well that you can use to go to your doctor and and feel informed with what you're talking about. Um, so yeah, I would totally recommend that book to so many people if you can get it. I'm sure you can get it on Amazon. Oh, you can get everything on Amazon, especially on Kindle. So. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you can get anything on yes. online now. So I will look up that book. I was trying. To, I was trying to think of the name. I was like, "What's the name? What's the name?" But now I know it, and I yeah, appreciate I know. Well, that so much. Yeah, you podcast and guess it, but period repair. Yeah, yes. and she has a Facebook page. Laura Bryden yeah. does, um, which you know, obviously, she has little snippets on there, and she has a website. You know, she's pretty well established. Um, so definitely someone worth following for sure. And then um, 
I did mention, I think I mentioned, if you're interested in contraception, there's a book called The Pill, Are You Sure It's For You? And again, written by another Australian called Alexandra Pope. She lives in the UK now, but she's from Australia. And she goes through and she uses, you know, scientific papers for her book, but it's written for the layperson. It's written for you and me, um, but she backs everything up. So her, you know, her um, appendix is massive of all these research papers that she refers to about side effects and about, you know, basically so that someone can read about a type of contraception, have their eyes open to everything and then make their choice. Because when you go to the doctor or the nurse or the clinic, whatever it is, they don't tell you all the stuff. You know, they might say, have you got a family history of breast cancer or deep vein thrombosis or something, but that's about it. You know, maybe they ask if you smoke, but they don't ask you a lot of information and they don't tell you. And that's, that's the issue there. So that's a great book. If you, you know, if you want to know your choices and, and you want to have all the information that's right for you. Yes. Thank you. But thank you again yeah. for coming on the podcast. This and coming on and giving out information about what you do and other information about your um, material health too. I really, I really, really appreciate it. Appreciate that. Thank you, Nikki. It's been lovely to speak to you. Um, So yeah, if people want to find out more, you know, I do work online. So I, I can't work to support anyone through the American health system. I don't know enough about what goes on there, but I can help and support people through natural choices. Um, If they wanted to go on a natural journey through fertility or they want to find natural ways to support their menstrual health, then I can do that through an online, you know, through Zoom or something. Um, I can do that wherever. So, you know, check me out as well. Yes, guys, check her out. You can go to her website at womwellness.co.uk and just send yes, her some love in her way. And, <laughs> and thanks, thanks again. I just like to thank everybody who stayed tuned to the podcast and listened in tune to Amy. Amy is super sweet. You can talk to her and Zoom her. It's, everything is confidential, so don't be scared to hit her up. Don't forget to subscribe to all my podcast pages. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and tune into next episode on Monday. I'm out.